fulfills the hope of Jesus. And we saw that the, 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 the Thessalonians were a, a new community of believers, and they faced this daunting task of just simply surviving in this very spiritually hostile environment. And through the Spirit and Paul's prayers, we saw that the Thessalonian believers not only survived, but they thrived to a point where they were a model of faith to all the believers in, every, in the entire region. Now, this doesn't mean that their experience um, was without suffering. In fact, we see that the Thessalonians actually suffered greatly for their faithfulness in Jesus. And Paul now devoted part of his letter to encourage them that indeed there is no sacrifice too great for the glory of Jesus. No, no sacrifice that will go unnoticed by our good and gracious God. And that's what we'll be looking at today. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And let's stand in reverence for God's word. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring to him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first." Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see that we're called to the mission of proclaiming the gospel until the whole world knows this hope of Jesus. This hope, the gospel is a gospel of hope that fills us with comfort, with courage, with confidence, even in the face of personal loss and suffering. And so the first issue that Paul speaks of is the universal experience of grief and suffering. In verse 13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, my brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now the word here, asleep, is obviously, it's a euphemism for death. And so we see here that many among this young community of faith have lost loved ones, whether it's from natural causes or because of the persecution that they're experiencing. It seems that it was such a common experience that Paul saw fit to address it directly in his letter. And so the question is, how do we, as Jesus followers, reconcile the goodness of God with the experience of injustice and great personal loss and suffering? See, Paul himself had suffered greatly for the sake of Jesus Christ, and I'm sure that he would have wished that he could be there personally to comfort and encourage his his, uh, new believers in the faith, but he was unable to do so, and so he wrote these tender words to help them in this time of need. And so Paul helped the Thessalonians to see that even in this time of sadness and grief, they had an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the city that was actually the very cause 
of their grief. This is very powerful, what he's asking them to do. Because you have to imagine here that some of these individuals, um, they had lost children, parents, brothers and sisters, loved ones, because this city so hated Jesus that they literally threw out Paul and, 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 and chased him out of the city next to them. And for those left in the city, you can imagine what type of persecution they must have been experiencing in this place the temptation to be angry, to be hateful, uh, to, to close yourself off from this city and to just hide. And yet, Jesus, yet Paul is saying, here's an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ as seen even in the way you grieve. In verse 13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, Paul's not saying do not grieve. Because again, this is really serious. It's not just this is really hard. They've lost people. People have died. And, and as believers, he's saying that uh, as believers, even with the hope of Jesus in us, this does not make us immune to suffering and sorrow in this world. That the message of the gospel is not Believe in Jesus and everything will be fine. You know, Jesus will protect you from all the suffering of the world. Just believe in Jesus and he will cause you to have a happy and wonderful life. No, Paul is specifically saying, I'm writing these things to you that you may not grieve as others do who do not have a hope. That Paul is saying that as you and I, as we grieve, as we grieve as followers of Jesus, we have a hope that comes from faith, that really what makes the Jesus community different and distinct is seen in the way that we grieve loss, that it's different than those who have no hope. Now, grief is defined as emotional distress that is caused by a perceived loss, whether it's physical, relational, spiritual, emotional, and uh, the intensity of that grief is measured by the level of our attachment. What that means is that the more we love and care about something, the more we're going to grieve when that thing or object or whatever it is, and it might even be an object, it may be a dream, it may be uh, an emotion, uh, when that is lost. For example, we can grieve over a person. Um, uh, when we lose a person, it can be uh, our health, when our health condition changes. We grieve over the things that, that we can no longer do or no longer enjoy. It could be changes in our life stages that as young adults, when we graduate from college, we, we, we grieve over the community that we had in college and the, and the joy that we had in, in that sense. But now as young adults, uh, we don't have that. Uh, when maybe when we have children, you know, not the children are, so we just talked in our uh, young adult that the, the, the children are a joy, but there's also grief involved when we have children because we lose certain things. Our life changes, and I tell people who have children, are you ready for your life to change like, like forever? It's never going to go back, and they're like, oh, you know, but actually there's a grieving process, a loss that we do feel, even to gain some of the joys that we have. Uh, when our children grow up, and we know they no longer need us as much as they used to. You know, we as parents, we grieve. 
because we're losing, we're losing something, especially eventually they move off and they, they go on their own, which is what we want them to do. But again, we grieve because, because we're so used to being there to take care of them. A retirement involves grief of, of letting go of things that, that we have but done for like, you know, 50 years of our lives and now we're no longer doing them anymore or we're getting older and we're getting replaced by the younger people and we're grieved because, gee, I can't move as fast. I can't do things as fast as these younger people who are coming into work. And, and, and this is a grief. You know, the dynamic aspect of life presents us with numerous occasions where we experience grief or we must go through this process of grief. And grief actually is a gift of God. It's an emotional process that God allows us, enables us to move towards his will. It reminds us that God cares about our grief. He cares about the things that we have lost, that that God has a sovereign plan, that even as he takes away things, he gives us other things that are even greater and a greater cause for rejoicing. You know, if you look at the Israelites who journeyed in the wilderness through the promised land, they grieved. It's weird as it may seem, the present difficulty actually made them grieve the losses in Israel. Remember, they were complaining in the, in the desert. They were saying, oh, at least in, in, in Egypt, we had food every day, you know, things like that. We weren't going to die, you know. And so they actually grieved over the things that they gave up as they wandered in the wilderness. And as they were wandering, sometimes they were okay and sometimes they complained. Sometimes they wandered in circles. Sometimes they looked back even on the bad times and said, gee, those times were were good. But one day, God actually brought them to the promised land. And he said, your time of grieving is now over. Now you can leave these sorrows uh, behind of the past and you can embrace this future now that God now presents before you. That what God is giving you now and, and what he presents ahead of you is better than when you look back at the past and the things that you have lost. And he says, he says to the people, now it's your choice whether you want to cross over into this place now where God is going to fulfill and give all these things back. And, and there's still going to be giants in the land and there's still going to be uncertainty, but, but God is with you. He will lead you. He has led you all this way. He will lead you into the land and you will find a place, you will come to a place place where uh, your grief will be over, where the things that you have lost will be filled with the things of God. Now, you may be here right now, and you're still experiencing, we're still experiencing our time of grief. Again, it could be a loss of a loved one. It could be the prospect of, of losing our profession, where we're saying, you know, I'm, I'm coming to a point where, you know, I'm not going to advance anymore, and I'm looking towards retirement now. It could be a health issue. We're grieving because, uh, you know, the doctor says I can't eat this anymore or I can't, I shouldn't do these things anymore because they're not good for me anymore. It could be a change in the family dynamic. Maybe a a child is is getting ready to to go to college. Uh, Maybe it's your sibling and you're like, wow, my big brother is going away. My sister who I used to confide in and talk to and was always there for me, she's leaving now. Whatever it is, God says even in our grief we have a hope. 
that we do not grieve as those without hope. And that's what a part of a follower of Jesus Christ means is that we have hope that this is the grace God gives us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says again, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's saying the death and resurrection of Jesus gives us this hope, gives us this hope that, that, that we know that even in the things that we've lost, God has something greater for us. We have a hope in grief. Every, doesn't, it's not just a, the grief of a loss of a loved one, but all, of the, all the different ways in which we grieve, all the different experiences of grief that we may, even the smaller secondary experiences, God is saying, you can go through this not as a person like in the world who has no hope. When they lose this, they're like, I don't have a job. What are, you know, people who put all of their identity in a job and then that job starts slipping away, they have no hope because there's nothing else for them to say, I have nothing else. Those who have put all of their hope in their children and their family, once the children move away or empty nests and the children of the family's like, I have nothing else because this has all been my life and that's how the world grieves because they have nothing else, but God, God is reminding us in God's word that your job, your family, your dreams, whatever it is, even your health, your life itself, this is not your hope. And so we grieve even at the loss of these things or the prospect of the loss of these things. We do not grieve like those in the world who do not have hope. Because we have Jesus Christ. This is the death and resurrection of Jesus. The second thing Paul speaks of is the theological underpinnings of that hope. That this is not just an emotional thing. Just be hopeful that there are specific truths from the Bible that give us a real reason for the hope, for hope in times of suffering. And if you look at verse 15, now if you were in Paul's class this last quarter, we would have got, you would have gone through all this. This may be a review for you, but this is a good reminder. This is saying, for we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This is a clear passage speaking about what is called the rapture. This is a theological, a very real event that will occur in the future that the Bible says this is going to happen. This is something that we will see whether we die or, you know, in this life or it may happen in our life. But basically there are, Paul is saying by the word of the Lord, he's saying, I get this straight from the source. Jesus tells us this is what's going to happen. So what is the rapture? The rapture is an event in the future prophesied by scripture and it it contains basically four events that's going to happen. Number one, the first event is Jesus returns in the clouds. Jesus ascends, ascended into heaven, and now he's going to, and he's going to leave his position of, of sitting in the, in, or standing in heaven as he's praying for us, and he's going to descend to earth, and it says, with a loud command, with the voice of archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And uh, he's going to return in the clouds. And we say, will this happen like literally? Will Jesus literally appear in the clouds? And I would say, yes. Because some people say, well, what if Jesus kind of appears stealthily? You know, like he just, you know, comes and goes. In fact, I was in Sunday school when I was a little kid. And, uh, 
and my Sunday school teacher said, if somebody came to you and said, they're Jesus, would you follow them? And we were sitting there going, hmm, I don't know. I, I thought, yeah, I'd follow him just to find out, you know, what, you know, who he is and what he's thinking. But I mean, we say, no, we wouldn't. Because if Jesus is going to return, he's going to return. We'll know it. I mean, you'll see it. It's not like he's just stealthy. It's not like, even like the movie, like, Left Behind, you know, where people just kind of disappear. And it's like, what's going on? It's not like the Thanos snap where people just kind of disappear. And we're like, what happened, you know? We'll know. Because Jesus is going to ascend from heaven, announcement of the archangel, a trumpet from God. Everyone will hear. This is a very public event. And so the second thing, what's going to happen at this event? First of all, uh, the de- second, the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead are the people who have passed away, even the, telling the Thessalonians who again have lost loved ones, saying, those who have died in the past that you love so much, who have put their faith in Jesus as Savior, all the saints of old who have walked faithfully and given their lives for the gospel, all the martyrs of the faith, they will have the privilege of, of, of rising and they'll meet Jesus first. They'll even meet Jesus before you. And, and so we, we look at this and say, that's, a, that's an encouragement. Now, some Christians say, again, a little bit of a side note, some people are saying, well, does that mean we shouldn't get cremated? You know, because people say, well, if I get cremated and I'm spread, what if I'm cremated and spread all over the place? Uh, what happens then? You know, if, will Jesus raise me? Well, no, it doesn't really matter because the patriarchs probably right now physically are dust as well. Anyways, and, you know, with earth movement or whatever, maybe, who knows, they're probably all over the place too. So it doesn't really matter. They're essentially cremated as well. So you'll get a new body, new glorified form, and you'll be, you know, think of your best prime, if it was 20 or 30, you'll be better than that. So rise from the dead. That's the second event. Third thing that's going to happen is uh, we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That means the living in Christ will rise next. Now, um, Paul gives no indication as to when this is going to happen. This could happen right now. <laughs> it could happen tomorrow. It could happen a day after tomorrow. We, we just have no idea when the rapture is going to occur. Back in the 2000s, during the Iraq war, I was watching TV, and, and they had made an announcement. I don't know if you remember back then, but uh, Iraq had shot a Scud missile, landed in the center of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the missile didn't the missile actually did not explode because it was a Scud missile, which doesn't work. Um, but it, anyway, it was the first time that a, a foreign country had actually shot a missile into the city of Jerusalem. And I got a phone call like right after that, like within one minute of watching the news. And it was my friend Philip. And he goes, hey, Harrison, are you still there? And I said, yeah. He goes, oh, thank God. I thought the rapture happened. You know? <laughs> Because one of the prophecies was that, you know, when Israel's attacked, that's one of the, you know, and so he thought, oh my gosh, you know, the rapture, it already occurred and it missed me. So, um, no. <laughs> no, he literally called me. I mean, literally, when I was watching the news, it said a Scud missile, you know, CNN, a Scud missile had just landed in, in, in the middle of Jerusalem, and then I got a phone call. Are you still there? You know, I said, no. But I thought that was really interesting. But the rapture can occur at any time, and believers who have died in the past will come, will rise, and then we who are uh, living will rise next. And then finally, the last thing about the rapture is we will be with Jesus forever. It says, so we will be with the Lord forever. The resurrection of all Christians will be united together with Jesus in the rapture. And from then on, forever, we'll be with the Lord. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. That's, that's the... Jesus, that's what he is, is telling us is our future. 
You know, this, he's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. This is the words of Jesus. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so, that I go out and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be with me also. And you know where I'm going. And we see here, this is really the words of Jesus Christ, what he's telling the disciples. And we know every one of the disciples, they're going to die for Jesus. They're going to suffer for Jesus. And he's telling them, this is your hope. Do not be troubled when these times come because I've already prepared a, a place and the, your name's on the door right there. You ever go to like the dorm and, and you're so excited because you know, you're new, you know, and then you, you go and then your name is on the door and you're like, whoa, this room is mine. You know, this is the first time, it's my room. You know? And that's kind of neat. When we get to heaven, we're like, whoa, what's heaven like? And we get to, to this mansion, it's like, wow, your name's right there. God already got the furniture in that you like. You know, got whatever, you know, whatever you like. And, and he's got that room. He's getting it all ready for you right now. It's got your name on it. And he says, that's the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we see this and say, say we have a hope in Jesus, in grief. We have a, 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 a this, this hope is, is based on the truth of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the last thing is, how does this truth, this theological truth, transform how we grieve? Uh, how does it change how we look at and how we live in light of this future hope? Verse 18 says, very simple. Um, we therefore encourage one another with these words. See, the Thessalonians, they were, they were um, shedding some of their pagan past. Remember, these are new Christians. So they still believed or still had this, this sense that physical death was like this ultimate destroyer this ultimate separator from them and their loved ones. And in fact, many have died already. And, and yet, uh, Paul is saying, hey, but this truth of the rapture must change everything that you think about, must change the way in which you live. You're not the pagans before viewing death and suffering this way. You are now uh, a, a believer who is looking forward to this great hope and this great future. So what is that going to do? How does that now change you as you live in this pagan world that really does want to destroy you? And I think of like, like kind of three specific ways. Uh, first of all, hope-filled living gives us the hope of an eternal perspective. And this is really simple. I mean, the future affects how we live in the present. I mean, we know that. If we have a bright future, uh, it shines a light in everything we do. Uh, if we have a not a good future, it puts a cloud over everything you do. Now, I know in movies, we don't like spoilers. Say, oh, no, don't tell me the end of the movie. That's a spoiler. You know, I want to enjoy this, experience this. Oh, yeah, well, that's good for a movie. But for life, you kind of want to know if it's going to be good or bad. Like, sometimes I'm watching, you know, we watch sports, and we're like, oh, yeah, I, I, DV, I DDR'd it or whatever. That's a, is it DDR? DDR'd it, whatever. Not DDR. <laughs> dance Dance Revolution. Okay, yeah, got it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you could DDR it, but, I, but they're just like, I, I got this, don't tell me the score of the game, you know? And then, but if you know that your team won, you know, say, oh, well, I already saw my team won. So when I'm watching it, I'm like, when we're behind, I'm not stressed. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's okay. It's like, wait a minute. Hey, we're behind by 23 points. We're behind by 21 points. Well, this is, you know, if I didn't know the end, I'd be like, oh, man, I'd be really sweating. I'd be, like, getting really nervous. But I'm like, oh, gee, I wonder how we're going to 
get over this. And then if it's like a nail biter at the end, it's like, oh, he's on the, the, three, you know, the, the three yard line and it's fourth down and, and goal. And it's like, you know, and, and he's going to go for it. He's going to go for the two points or whatever. It's like that. And like, oh, you know, if you didn't know the ending, you'd be like so stressed. Like, oh, oh, you know, like, I can't take this. I can't watch this anymore. And it'd be so stressful. But if it's, if it's on tape and you already know what the ending is, you're like, oh, well, yeah, this is no problem. I mean, I could still enjoy it, but I know what the ending is. It's great. I feel good. I don't feel like all torn up in knots and are we going to win? Are we going to lose? Things like that. And so we look at our life and say, you know, when we go through these things and we say, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're behind by this much point. I'm, you know, how am I going to get out of this? And, but we know the ending. We know, okay, well, I know God's going to get me through. I mean, I'm not sure how. I mean, it seems really hard, but I already know the ending is going to get through. We get to this point, like, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're never going to make it. I don't know if we're going to make it. And God says, no, 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 you already know the ending. You don't have to stress over it anymore. Because you know the score, the final score is what? Jesus wins, Satan loses, right? We go to heaven, Satan is, is judged. So you know the ending. So all of these things that we may go through, if our life was like this, we'd say, you know, oh, you know. But he's like, no, no, you know the ending. You, you, you got all the spoilers. You can go through life now knowing that um, you have a hope. It changes the way you look at everything you do when you know the future. The second thing that the rapture gives us is it gives us a hope that every moment counts. It's like when a person says, this is your defining moment, you know that, hey, this is the moment where I have to step up and do what, it, do what it takes to make a difference in eternity. The coming of the rapture, because we don't know when it is, it is a sober reminder that, we, that time is a limited resource. Time is not forever. We don't even know how limited time really is. I mean, if, if we had a week to live, if God says, hey, the rapture's coming in a week, we would live every day like like. Every moment counts, right? I mean, we wouldn't waste time. We wouldn't say, oh, well, just, I don't know, let's figure out. No, you say, well, I only got a week. I'm, I'm going to spend every single moment doing what counts. The hope of, a rap, of the rapture reminds us to encourage one another in this. Uh, yesterday, we were uh, out with uh, Connie Luis and, and uh, Betsy, and we were sharing the gospel. We were doing our, our gospel sharing out at the lake. And uh, we talked to a lot of people, and it was really neat because... For, that, for some reason that day, a lot of people were really open. We didn't get that many rejections. And Reed and I, we were talking to this one individual. He's a young guy. He was fishing. And uh, we were going through the gospel, and he was like, yeah, I agree, I agree. And then um, I said, well, would you like to receive Jesus as Savior? And he says, well, I don't know. I'll just keep it in the back of my mind. You know? And he says, oh, there's other options. I go, well, what other options are there? And he goes, well, there's nature, and there's this. I said, well, does nature save you? <laughs> And he goes, oh, well, no, I guess it doesn't, you know. I said, okay, well, then, really, Jesus is the only option for salvation. He goes, oh, yeah, I guess you're right, you know. I said, well, do you want to receive Jesus as Savior? And he goes, I don't know, I'll keep it in the back of my mind. And I said, well, but we keep a lot of things in the back of our mind. I mean, you do, right? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, you keep a lot of things in the back of your mind, and then what, what happens to them? They just sit there. I said, but, but this is something you need to act on. Like, you need to put your faith in. You don't just keep in the back of your mind. So I said again, would you like to receive Jesus as Savior? And he said, okay. And so we got, at sense, we got to pray with him and share with him the gospel. And I said, you know, just go ahead. These are the things we're going to pray about. And I shared it with him. And he said, I said, 
is this, you know, do you want to pray this? And he said, yeah. And I was like, okay, let's pray. And right then, somebody behind us was saying, hey, there's some fish over there, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was interrupting us. I was like, oh, you know. And then he kept talking, saying, hey, don't you want to go over there? There's some fish. We caught some fish over there. And I was like, uh. And then finally he went away. And they said, let's, let's pray. And so he prayed and he received Jesus as Savior. So it was just really exciting to say, hey, you know, this is a thing, man. We hold so many things in the back of our minds all the time. Oh, I know I should do this. Oh, yeah, I know I should do that. Oh, someday I'm going to get along in doing this. I'm going to share the gospel someday. Yeah, I'm going to share the gospel with my friend. I'm going to take care of this and that. Oh, I, I know I need to take care of that. It's in the back of my mind. It's in the back of my mind. I'm going to do it. Well, uh, the rapture is what takes those things in the back of our mind and brings it to the front and says, what are you going to do about it? Because you may not have tomorrow. So if it's important, let's do it. We talk about the gospel, we talk about mission, and we say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it someday. Learning about I just need to learn more about it. Uh, yeah, someday when, when things get better, uh, when things are easier, when I'm less busy, I'll, I'll learn more about sharing the gospel. And yeah, maybe someday I'll go out with Connie and Louise. I know Pastor Erson's been telling us we should do that, we should do that. Yeah, someday when, when I you know, don't have to do all these things, I'll, I'll go out and do that. Uh, someday I'll, I'll, I'll be able to share with my coworkers or at school you know, when the time is right. But right now, it's really hard. Uh, the, the rapture says, yeah, don't let these things go in the back of your mind. The time is now. Every moment counts. Everything that you do from, from right now when you leave this place, it counts. And so do the things that God has called you to do. And don't leave it in the back of your mind and just say, someday, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Someday I'll be a good at prayer. Someday I'll be good at evangelism. Someday I'll read my Bible. Someday I'll be more involved in church. No, that's back of your mind. The rapture says now. You must make a decision now. The final hope, the final thing about the hope of a hopeful living is what we call resurrection power. The last verse, verse 16, says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, the voice of an archangel. And you look at this and it says, it talks about word, like a cry, a, a command with a voice. And there's a sense that, 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 that Jesus simply says the word and the dead will rise. Can you imagine that? Now, you think about the curse of death. This is the ultimate. We as human beings, we look at death as seeing we can overcome everything and anything, and someday we'll overcome. But the one thing we will never overcome is death. Everyone will die. This curse of death is so powerful that no one, nothing we can do, no matter how good we are, no matter how strong we are, no matter how rich we are, no matter how intelligent we are, no matter how much progress we are, we will never overcome death. Death is the ultimate uh, obstacle. And yet here it says that with a word, with a word from Jesus' mouth, the dead will rise. And death is overcome. First Corinthians says, um, says that um, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus, this word that God has is with us now. This hope of the resurrection power is not just, oh, I'm going to be risen from the dead someday. This is a sense that we encourage one another that, 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 that the power of God, the resurrection power of the rapture, where Jesus just with one word, 
overcomes death itself. That's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is in you and me right now. In anything and everything we do, we have the power of the Spirit of God that can raise from the dead with just a word. And we think about that and say, wow. That's how we must live in light of the rapture. That death is nothing. And, and, and we have this power of God. And I was thinking of an example of this. and Let's just read a, an excerpt. It says, soon after Christmas, when the missionaries had written festive greetings from far-flung natives, the whole group made one final flight to meet the Wadoni tribe. They landed on Palm Beach on the 3rd of January, 1956, set up camp on the fringes of the Wadoni territory, waiting for the encounter. After three days, suddenly a group of naked Wadoni appeared at the bank of the river opposite the Palm Beach. Jim Elliott, Nate's closest friend, waded over to them, his open hand offering a warm invitation of the visitors to join for food. And after a few minutes, all were relaxed, and the little group settled in the Americans' camp, drinking lemonade and jabbering in their mysterious dialect. When the visitors had finally disappeared back into the forest, the five friends could barely contain their excitement. This meeting was the one thing they had longed and prayed for. Two days later, Nate's final call to his wife Marjorie said, pray for us for this is the day. And then at 12 minutes past three on Sunday the 8th, January 1956, Nate's wristwatch was suddenly smashed against a stone and the hands of the clock had stopped moving. And this is believed to be the moment when he and his dear friends lost their lives to the Wadoni Spears. And their sudden deaths had shocked the world. The effort to reach the Alka Indians was not abandoned. Knowing that God had a plan for them, Jim's wife Elizabeth and their 10-month-old daughter Valerie decided that they would stay in Ecuador and continue the work that, that Jim had left behind. And a turning point came when two women left this tribe to meet with Elizabeth and therefore opening the door for both her and Nate's sister, Rachel, to make contact with the Wadoni. Rachel and Elizabeth were eventually invited to live with the tribe. And nine years after the tragic death of her brother Nate, the Gospel of Mark was published in the Alka language. And they lived with the tribe for two years, bringing them God's word, teaching them to forgive fearlessly and love tremendously, transforming their way of life forever. Nate's children were also invited to join the tribe where his son Steve committed his life to working with his tribe. And, and, and Nate's um, son was baptized by Minkaya, who was the very man who had killed his father, he had eventually become a pastor. Rachel stayed with the Alka tribe until her death and was buried there. And God had used these women, a wife and a sister of these slain missionaries, to, to reconcile the Alkas, to bring them uh, ultimate reconciliation uh, in Christ's uh, salvation. So we'll go ahead and play this. <laughs> 